Hey, welcome to night school. An episode a day, kind of. I don't think I did one yesterday, but doing a lot of them because that's what we do here. We talk. And the appeal of doing a show like this, the appeal of having a podcast for me is that it's like having a conversation with somebody where you don't have to wait for them to finish. You can just say whatever you want to say. You can say whatever you want to say, and you don't have to wait for them. You know, not that I enjoy cutting people off, but there is that funny thing, even with people you love and care about, where sometimes it does feel like you're both waiting for the other person to finish, even if you are listening. You might be listening, but you're still waiting for your chance to say something. But, uh, you know, I'm thinking about the fact that, you know, the more similar you are to somebody, the more that a sliver of difference can become magnified. Where just the slightest difference in opinion, in outlook, can produce this chasm, this canyon. You know what made the Grand Canyon? You know how the Grand Canyon got made? It wasn't a river. It was, uh, it was actually a sliver of difference. It was a minor disagreement by each side of the Grand Canyon, which it turns out are made of the same ground. They're almost identical. They're practically mirror images of each other, but they had a minor disagreement, and now we got the Grand Canyon. Good luck crossing that. But it's very true. And that's what produces so much factionalism. So much factionalism comes from people and groups that are very, very similar. But the slightest difference produces something, it becomes magnified. Whereas the opposite can be true, too, where people who recognize each other as fundamentally different will sometimes find common ground. Like, they might only have a sliver in common... And that sliver becomes magnified and brings them together if both of those people want it to. Because a lot of it is want. A lot of it is having the will to let something either bring you together or divide you. And some of it could just be chemistry, which is a funny term. You know, we accept that term. We, we casually accept the idea of social chemistry. Like, oh, we get along because we just got chemistry. You hear it romantically, but it also applies platonically as well with this idea of we got we got social chemistry. And, you know, we're in such a cult of science in our world today that we readily accept that terminology, even though we know that there's no measurable chemistry happening. We know that there's, to my knowledge, there's never been a study that proves two people who just get along for whatever reason, who just innately get along. There's no study that proves that that's the result of some sort of chemical reaction. Obviously, when you like somebody, your body produces certain chemicals or something like that that makes you want to see them or talk to them, I suppose. But when it comes to actually the reasons why you are drawn to somebody one way or another, it's not chemical. And it could just as well be something supernatural. It could just as well be soul chemistry. But the second you add soul onto the word chemistry, people are like, wait a second. I didn't think we were talking about pseudoscience here. You know, the second you add in soul or the second that you apply anything that somebody could uh, label magical thinking, it's like, oh, wait a second. I thought we were talking about social chemistry, not soul chemistry. 
that just shows how devoted people are to the cult of science, that even though you're talking about something that is non-scientific, if you use scientific terminology, people are more likely to accept it. Whereas if you say, well, actually, I think our souls crossed paths during a previous lifetime. I sort of believe that. You know, I'm not convinced. I don't have proof. I've felt that. I've gotten that sense before. And I've gotten that sense even when I didn't want to believe it. So I don't think it was a confirmation bias where it's like, you know, I spend all my life reading about reincarnation and I can't help but feel like you and I knew each other. And it's happened with women in particular. I mean, I think all of my best friends, I feel like there's a certain recurrence where it's like I feel like they are recurring characters in some sort of soul story. But with women, there's been only two times in my life where I've met women and I've both times I've said to myself, oh, no. As I, The first time I ever saw them, I said, oh, no. And oh, no meant different things in each of those situations. In one of them, it was a dark oh, no. And it ended up being accurate, but much later. It ended, that oh, no ended up being confirmed through just a weird set of circumstances quite a while later, a year or more later. It wasn't like that initial moment produced the situation and it was just weird there was definitely a feeling of familiarity instant familiarity like oh I know how this one goes you oh you're in this oh your soul ended up here we're crossing paths again you know it was that sort of feeling and another time it was an oh no but it wasn't dark it was just sort of like oh this is going to be a short but wild train ride through the jungle and it was you know, and I don't think that I willed that to happen, but the, again, there was a familiarity, and it was very strange. And in both cases, there was a certain doom to both situations. While one was a dark oh no, and the other was more of just a, you know, it was more of an open-ended oh no. An open-ended oh no. Uh, there was still a certain doom to both situations that I felt the first time I ever laid eyes on these two women. But uh, anyway, you know, it's funny, though, how it's like we'll accept like, oh, yeah, we just have good chemistry and nobody ever thinks twice. But if you add in some sort of reincarnation element, some sort of soul element, something that uses just terminology that basically translates to the same thing as chemistry, but you just have a slightly tweaked way of seeing it. It's like, oh, you're crazy. You're out there. Anyway, though, anyway, just it's funny how. Well, I mean, I think that's, you know, if, if you have good enough chemistry with somebody or if you just have a will to do it, you can be fundamentally different from somebody and this, having the slightest thing in common. You look for that thing in common, first of all, and when you find it, you magnify that, and that actually brings you closer. I imagine that's kind of what happened when you think about people, you know, eons ago, traveling to different places in the world where a different language was spoken, where two cultures had never come into contact, and yet they were able to do something productive with that. They were able to find some kind of common ground when the standard, you know, suggested otherwise. You know, they, they kind of, the standard for, oh, outs an outsider's coming here. We better kill them. Or even just as the outsider being like, you know, maybe I, maybe I shouldn't go ashore here. There's people there, and I know what happens where I come from, where we, our tribes fight each other. They might just kill me. But yet there are situations where people were able to 
come together and be like, oh, you know, oh, you call that a coconut. Or are you, oh, you call that this. We call it a coconut. We both have a word for that thing. Oh, we're brothers. We're, we're like brothers, you know. Um, we both have a word for coconut. But you could turn that into a, a link. We both eat coconuts and we both point, we both can point at coconuts. And while we have different words for it, we both have a word for it. Um, but that's pretty incredible to think about somebody who just goes off into the wild unknown and can find common ground. But it's because they kind of recognize that there's a fundamental difference and that causes you to look for a similarity and magnify that similarity. Whereas the opposite also plays out where, you know, you have two neighboring tribes and uh, you have you look alike. You might use a similar, if not the same language. You have everything in common, but that familiarity breeds contempt. There's, you know, just the, the amount of interaction you would have also increases the likelihood of conflict. And you'd be much more aware of each other's differences. I mean, you think about those video games they have at bars and I'm not talking about these new video game bars where you play Nintendo at a bar arcade machines at bars I'm talking about the other kind of video games where it's just a game on a video screen there's of course the the Joker poker machines but I'm talking about the ones the one in particular where it shows an image on each side of the screen and the images are almost identical and this is something you see in kids books who knew that drunk people like to play the same games that kids play? But it's this it's an ide- a, a nearly identical image on each side of the screen, and you have to point out what's different in the two images. It's like a picture of an old West corral. It's the OK corral. And there's a wagon wheel on the ground in this one. But it's not there in the one next to it. But other than that, it's a picture of the same exact scene. Almost everything is the exact same. And the point of the game is to point out what's different. As if you didn't know that. You know, it's intuitive. It's obvious. And it can be difficult. I mean, obviously, it's going to be difficult for drunk people. But it can be difficult normally because you set your eyes on the images and you see them, you know, right next to each other. And initially, they're going to look the exact same to you, but you have to actually look beyond that. You have to look at it for a little while, uh, but you just have to look at it long enough to start noticing discrepancies. And I think that's a good illustration for what I'm talking about, where two things can look almost exactly the same, but the more that you look at them, the more that you compare them, the more you start to see that, hey, there's a wagon wheel here, but not over here. Oh, the cowboy's got a, uh, he's missing his belt buckle in this image, and he's got the belt buckle in this one. You know, you'll start to notice those things. And I think that's what, what happens when you spend time with somebody. You might connect with somebody, and you have so much in common, but you end up, you know, discovering differences between you. Who knew? Who knew that people had different outlooks, different opinions, all sorts of things? And... I feel that if you have good enough chemistry, if you have good good enough soul chemistry, you'll overlook those, and that might actually be a strength. Those small differences might actually lend themselves lend themselves to giving you different strengths, to giving your friendship. You know, that third entity that two people create, how two people who become friends 
they produce a third entity that only exists when those two people are together. And the differences that those two people have might give that third entity even greater strength. But the opposite can happen too. You know, if there's any, if there's any issue, hold on here. Speaking of issues, this is, he's been barking a lot lately. I don't know. Maybe it's just the change in weather, the tension in the air. Hey, Batty, come on. It's just a sample. At this point, that's just a sample on the show. Batty, come on. But, uh, you know, so the small differences can actually be a source of strength. They can complement each other. Even though they're different, they can be a complement. And I'm not talking about a, you look good. I'm talking about the other spelling, complementary. You know, and the opposite can play out too. I mean, you could meet somebody and it's like, oh, uh, a mutual friend introduces you and they're like, hey, this is Eric and uh, this is Ralph. Eric, meet Ralph. You guys are both into late 80s proto-black metal. You're going to be the best of friends. And then you start talking and it's like, yeah, well, I, th- I think the best, uh, I think the best bands came from Brazil. And you're like, well, I'm more of a fan of the Swiss bands. And that sliver of a difference could actually produce an argument or make you hate the person. And I'm actually not, that's not even my niche. While I enjoy that era it's not even my niche, so we're not actually talking about me here. But let's, that's just a great example, because you're both a fan of this very niche interest. And it might the, the, the genre, the time period might match up perfectly. But just some minor difference in preference can actually produce a wide chasm. And I think about this interaction I had about three or four years ago at a bar where I was with a friend and uh, she introduced a friend of hers to me. He walked up to us and he was younger than me and just, you know, kind of a, he seemed like a guy who was like newly into the whole metal persona. And, you know, I I don't know. I mean, he seemed like a nice guy, honestly, but he, it was a little bit of a rough interaction because he sat down and he was obviously drunk and just right away he launched into this I mean, right away, like after Hello, he just said, uh, the only Black Sabbath albums that matter are the first four, which I've heard many people say, and I used to feel that way myself, but it was just, it was very aggressive, (laughs) and there was no, there was no, nothing warranting it, you know, like I wasn't wearing a Black Sabbath shirt, it was obviously something he was thinking about prior to walking over to us, and he just felt the need to express it, and he was like, the only Black Sabbath albums that matter are the first four. And I, I was like, well, you know, maybe you should uh, keep an open mind and revisit Dio era. Because when I used to say the same thing, and I didn't, I didn't say this to him, but when I used to say that, when I used to be like, oh, the only good Black Sabbath albums are Ozzy era, first four albums are the best, blah, 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 which I, I would still agree with. I would still say the first four are my favorite, but... I would still say that that is the definitive Black Sabbath sound, for sure. That is what makes Black Sabbath Black Sabbath, absolutely. But when I used to say that, the reality is is I hadn't sat down with Dio era. I hadn't sat down with other albums. I mean, I even like Dehumanizer in its own way. But, uh, and maybe a lot of people do, I don't know, maybe that's not a controversial opinion. 
But at, when I used to have that belief, it was because the reality is I hadn't sat down with an open mind. Whereas, you know, a few years after being after saying the same thing, oh, first four Sabbath albums, only Sabbath albums that matter, you know, it was probably something I had heard somebody else say for one again. It was somebody else's opinion that stuck with me, and so I started parroting it. But then a few years later, I spent some you know wonderful nights with Heaven and Hell, and uh, I, the, both the album and the ideas of Heaven and Hell, and that changed my entire perspective on Black Sabbath. And I I love Dio era, but he and I just we had a, really, a very short back and forth. But he was just very I don't know he was drunk and just kind of. I don't know if he felt like it was he had some sort of you know hot take a word that's a phrase that's used too much these days but I don't know if he felt like he had some hot take that he had to just get off his chest like oh you know I'm sick of all these people worshiping Dio era I am a conservative who only likes the Aussie era but I just said to him you know I didn't try to argue with him but I was just like hey man like you know maybe Revisit Dio era. Just give it a chance. And he wasn't having it. And it's funny for me to think about in context with this discussion, because here we are, both fans of Black Sabbath, having sort of an argument about it. And we're not sitting there going, hey, man, cheers to Black Sabbath. Cheers to Black Sabbath. You know, we're not doing that. Here we are. We're both big fans, obviously, of the same band. But our initial, our very first conversation with each other is an argument about it. And I don't think we really f- found common ground in that in that conversation. But it's a good example of what I mean. And we didn't become enemies or anything. And I don't even really know this guy. But it was just funny how that was how he introduced himself. was just like, Ozzy Aero Sabbath, dude. And I was like, well, you know, consider the other eras too. Just consider them. And how that was... Just some sort of weird drunk standoff. I like the image without the wagon wheel. Okay, you give the wagon wheel a chance. Just give it a chance. But you know, things can those things can escalate. I mean, if that's not about Black Sabbath, I think the fact that it was about Black Sabbath is why it was at all civil. But it could be if that was imagine if that was a political discussion. And I guess that plays into something that happened today, unintentional segue. Something that happened today, an unintentional segue, is my beat poetry. Um, I was running an errand, and I pulled into a parking lot, and there was a guy next to me with, it was a big truck, the wheels were huge, huge wheels, big wheels, and he had flags on the back. One of them was an American flag. The other one might have been one of those thin blue line flags. It was something like that. It wasn't a swastika, but it was, you know, something that's obviously, that obviously translates to support for Trump and conservative values. And because the truck was the kind of truck it was, that lends itself to that too. And on the way there, before I got there though, I could just feel something in the air on the way there. I'm just full of poetry here. I feel something in the air on the way there. Unintentional segue on the way. Um, But uh, I saw this guy riding a bike, and he wasn't homeless. He wasn't a full-blown transient, but he was definitely on the verge. He was in the bike lane, kind of weaving. His ass crack was sticking out, and he was kind of weaving 
into into the lane and I was in that lane and I was like I gotta avoid this guy this guy doesn't have any physical awareness basically this guy's a little bit of a problem I don't know anything about him he has a look about him for sure this guy's trouble is the feeling I got and quite a ways away the parking lot that I went to is quite a ways away but as I pulled in I happened to pull next to the guy with the flags and I was very aware of him I mean I'm like oh there's a guy who's making a statement there's an, there's a guy who wants people to know where he stands, and I have no issue with that. I don't I don't look at these people with giant flags, even though that's not me. I don't look at them and think, "What an asshole!" You know, I don't. I'm not one of these people who does that. Uh, like I was more than welcome to make his statement. I think putting flags on your truck, on your big truck, I feel that's a healthier outlet than other things, and other ways to express yourself. But anyway. Before I even got out of my car, the guy on the bike had made it to this parking lot and he rode straight over to the truck and he was, as the guy in the truck was pulling out, the guy ran up and he, he, he yelled something that was completely unintelligible. Like I could hear, I, I could completely hear well enough to know if he had said something intelligible or not, but it was just this like hateful gibberish is how I would describe it. It's like, it doesn't even matter what words you're saying the tone was just something vile and he was trying to pull one of the flags out. He was trying to attack this truck and fortunately nothing more came of it. But the bicyclist, he just hung out in the parking lot. Like the truck managed to pull out and with his flags intact, the guy wasn't able to pull the flags off the truck. They were well fastened. Those are some well fastened flags that this guy had. And the guy, though, stayed in the parking lot, actually right behind my car, because my car was right next to it, for a couple minutes. And I was concerned. I had to go into a store, and I was just like, this guy could attack anybody. And I could tell the guy was trouble long before I saw this happen, long before he tried to pull these flags off of the truck. And so I was like, this guy could attack anybody right now. While he does probably have some sort of self-righteous anti-Trump in indignation that led him to attack this particular truck. This is a just a monster right now. This is a beast right now. And the fact that he the words that came out of his mouth his mouse his mouth weren't even intelligible. It was as if he was just coughing up flaming bile, you know, is that sort of sound. And I mean the guy I definitely got the feeling there was some mental illness, maybe some addiction, who, whatever knows. Like I said, I don't think he was homeless, but he definitely, he was definitely teetering on a certain edge. But it was bad. I mean, just seeing that. I, I haven't actually seen an interaction like that. I've seen some negative interactions in stores. You know, I've talked on here about how a guy got mad at me for having too many items in the express lane when COVID first hit. Things like that. I've seen, there have been some little tense moments. I've seen people get in arguments here or there. But I haven't actually seen that sort of thing in person. Somebody trying to rip the flags off of a conservative's truck. And then, but then the way the guy stayed in the parking lot well long after the truck was gone, it was like he was looking for somebody else to direct that unresolved hatred toward. Because it is hatred. This guy, it doesn't matter what somebody believes in. And that's the problem with the brand name hatred. And it's not just the people who are calling other things hateful. It's also that some people do identify as hateful. There are some people who do be like, I'm a hateful person. And that's my brand. You know, there are people who do that. But I don't think those people are as much of a threat 
in the bigger picture. I think that the people who are calling everything else hateful while acting out hatefully themselves without recognizing that in themselves, without recognizing that in the people they know, I think that's more dangerous because of the cognitive dissonance involved. But it was just a weird interaction, and it was just like, man, like that guy, that could have gotten bad because the guy in the truck easily could have backed over this guy. But he obviously just wanted to get away. But you can see where in that moment, something very bad could have happened. I mean, if that guy had the slightest reason to think that I was provoking him or, you know, because he looked over at me at one, at one point as I was walking to the store and I was just like, fuck, I do not want to make eye contact with that guy. Um, but it, it's in the air, you know, it's in the air. And, and I think there are some places where that's more common. I haven't seen much of anything like that. I've seen the videos of it, of course. I've seen videos of people grabbing at flags, grabbing it well-fastened and not-so-well-fastened flags. But nothing good can come of that kind of behavior. Nothing good at all. I don't know what kind of statement it's even supposed to make. It's very visceral. It's very animal, really. No matter what you believe in. I mean, but maybe there were, maybe it was a... You know what? Maybe I'm missing context. Maybe those two guys had had a prior discussion about Black Sabbath. And... They had had a disagreement over which Black Sabbath albums are good. And that's what led to the guy attacking the other guy. It had nothing to do with the particular flags he had on his truck. And maybe, you know, I didn't even see one of the flags entirely. I assumed it was a thin blue line flag. Maybe it was a a Black Sabbath heaven and hell flag. Maybe it was a flag that communicated that the driver of this truck loves Theo era Sabbath. And the guy on the bike was a, a, a diehard. Maybe I've gotten their political views messed up, where the guy on the bike was actually the conservative because he only believes in Aussie era. He's a conservative Black Sabbath fan. Maybe I missed the big picture of this. But yeah, that's a great example of two people who don't want to be friends. <laughs> it's a great example of two people who... You know, because that's the thing, too, is that the difference in opinion might not be a sliver that gets magnified. It very well might be something big. And even that gets magnified further. So it might already be a big, a big difference, a big chasm, but it's getting pulled out and stretched even wider. Um, but, uh, yeah, I definitely set a certain tone for my errand running. Just like, man, what else am I going to see here? Fortunately, nothing. Fortunately, very little else happened except for taking care of errands. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm thinking about, obviously I'm thinking a lot about these things. You know, I mean, people making the choice to find common ground with certain people, whereas choosing not to find it with others. And a lot of it, I do feel, depends on some sort of innate chemistry. And, uh, you know, I think about this celebrity. I heard an interview with a celebrity about a year or two ago. It's somebody I have no interest in. It's a guy who he himself is an interviewer, a well-known interviewer, does a podcast, uh, Mark Marin. 
and I have no experience with this guy. I've, I've heard his own podcast maybe once, but I heard an interview with him randomly where he was talking about being an asshole. And that was honestly my opinion of the guy and not the kind of asshole I like. I had a, a low opinion of him for whatever reason. I don't, I don't even know why I did. Maybe it was a soul thing. My soul just didn't like this guy who has no idea who I am. But anyway, in this interview, he was talking about how he used to just not like people, you know, just without any provocation, he would just not like people. And somebody else, a mutual friend might come up to him and they would say, hey, uh, what do you think of Bob? And he would say, oh, fuck him. I hate that guy. And then the mutual friend would follow that up with, well, he's a big fan of yours and he really wants to meet you. And Mark Marin was like, well, and then when I would hear that, I would be like, oh, well, actually, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I think he's cool. I want to meet him, too. You know, so so much of it was based around what you think somebody else's opinion of you is. Whether or not he liked these other people depended on whether they liked him. And that sounds very narcissistic and egotistical, and it is, but it's also very normal. I think that's one of the, the most obvious ways that our egos function is I don't, it, it's the hand-waving thing again. It's like, I don't want to wave at them because they haven't waved at me. And if I wave at them and they don't wave back, I'm going to feel like an idiot. And so your default is, fuck them. <laughs> you know, it's like we go from, we go from like, I'm worried about being acknowledged in some way. I'm worried about that person not acknowledging me. I'm worried that this isn't going to be a two-way street. So fuck up. <laughs> and somehow I've only ever heard him say that. I wish I could credit somebody else because I'm not a Mark Marin fan. Unless he's a fan of me. Unless he's a fan of me, then I'm a huge, then he's my friend. Uh, but the reality is I wish there were somebody else I could reference because it was an epiphanous moment because that's such an obvious thing. And I relate to it. That, that is such an obvious thing to think that somebody comes to you and they're like, oh yeah, this person... What do you think is what do you think is so and so? Fuck them. Well, they they actually want to hang out with you. Oh, oh well, actually, I was just kidding. You know, it's I relate to that, and it's not even insecurity, although it is, but it's not just insecurity. I, I think there's just sort of a, I don't know. I think we have a it's it's that negativity bias a little bit where it's like because in the absence of information, we have a tendency to fill that information with something negative. Uh, and the only other person I've heard say that, and I mean, I say it's an epiphanous moment because it's, again, one of those things that's so obvious, but I had never heard somebody else verbalize it. I'd, I'd never heard anybody else lay out that scenario. I've heard people say they want to be liked. I've heard people say, you, you know, I've heard people like they like, I mean, in romantic situations, I've heard people say that, oh yeah, you know, like sometimes I like girls and it's not even that I really like them. It's that they like me. And therefore, I like, you know, it's like that kind of thing. But it's interesting when it plays out on just a social level. And I think the only other time I've heard that used was a friend of mine was explaining something to me. He was telling me about something he had done. And he was like, oh, yeah, this guy was there. And I was like, oh, really? And he was like, yeah, he's cool. And I was like, really? Because I didn't expect him to say that. And he was like, yeah, he said he likes, uh, you know, something we did. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. So he's cool. <laughs> you know, but it was it was entirely based around the fact that this guy somehow already acknowledged us. Uh, 
And it was like, okay, he's cool. He's cool because he thinks we're cool or I'm cool. And we do operate that way. And I don't think it's petty. I think it's just a normal function. And, uh, but when you recognize that, when you recognize that you operate that way and that you actually don't lose anything, even if it's one-sided, and actually you gain a whole lot. Because, I mean, there's a bunch of people out there where I get a vibe from them that they don't like me or that somehow I've disappointed them or something or another. Fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. I get a vibe. They're not entirely enthused about me and who I am and what I do in whatever avenue I do it in. But I'm not going to fill in the blank. I'm not going to pretend I know exactly what that is. And they might very, and I mean, I'm someone who, you know, hasn't given out a lot of approval to people I know in my life. You know, I haven't given explicit approval or encouragement to people as much as I could have. And so they very well might be like, oh, well, well, he, I think that guy doesn't approve of me. That guy's never said anything to encourage me. He's never acknowledged me in the way that I'm so desperate to be acknowledged, you know. So some of that very well could be that. That person's like, oh, I'm, I'm afraid this isn't a two-way street. And meanwhile, I'm feeling that too. I'm like, I'm thinking this isn't a two-way street. But in recent years, I've really grown comfortable with the idea of just being like, oh, I, I like those people. Because I don't feel that I have any enemies, for one. And that's a good feeling, to feel like I don't have anybody who's a, a straight-up enemy. I don't have an antagonist. There's nobody who, if I see them out in the wild, if I go to a public place and they're there... I don't feel the need to A, confront them, or B, leave the place. There's nobody out there. There's people, sure, who if if they're in a place where I'm at, I'm going to do a double take and have to consider whether or not to say something to them or, you know, something. I feel that I'm going to have to adjust accordingly, maybe, or at least think about it. But there's nobody where if I go to a place, I'm going to think, oh, God, it's my antagonist. It's my antagonist. You know, there's nobody... uh, that makes me feel that way. And hopefully I don't make anybody else feel that way. That would suck. I'd be bummed out to find out that somebody sees me as some sort of enemy or antagonist and they don't feel like they can be in the same place I'm in. But there are a lot of people where it just there seems to be some sort of very subtle dissonance. And that includes people that I've known very well. That includes friends even. Where it just feels like there's a subtle dissonance And I don't know how you measure that. I don't know how the scientists measure that subtle dissonance. Let them try to figure it out. The subtle dissonance that scientists feel when they try to measure subtle dissonance. It seems that that subtle dissonance they feel is increasing. And it's not so subtle anymore. Because there's no true way to measure subtle dissonance. It's another poem I'm writing. I'm I'm workshopping it here. It's called subtle dissonance. (laughs) But you do feel that subtle dissonance with people. And uh, it's fine. You know, it's really... I'd rather feel a subtle dissonance with people than have them try to tear the flags off the back of my truck. You know, someday when I get a Ford 250, 350, whatever it's called, I'm going to find some good flags to fasten well to the back of my truck. Not the flags you expect. I'm going to get some new, I'm going to get some very interesting flags, some custom flags. Um, but, uh, 
you know, that was what I saw today, the guy trying to tear the flags off this guy's truck. That was not subtle dissonance. That was hostile. That was, ho- that was pure hostility. Those guys were enemies. Those guys became enemies in that moment. But the subtle dissonance is certainly not that. If you find yourself trying to physically attack somebody or attack their property, that's something else. That is something else entirely. But chances are, if you're a living, breathing human being, you do feel that subtle dissonance with certain people, even people you care about. And there's an ebb and a flow to it. I mean, any relationship you have with somebody is going to have pockets. It's going to have pools. It's going to have little eddies. Little eddies of dissonance. And that's how you know you have a three-dimensional friendship or a three-dimensional relationship is the fact that those pockets appear. Because again, if you're familiar with somebody, if you're close to somebody, there's going to be these slivers of difference and maybe more. Because I personally, I like to be friends with people who are different from me. And it's not something that I actively seek, but I do try to stay aware of that chemistry, that soul chemistry, where I don't like things to be dictated by interests or shared beliefs. I was talking to my friend Nick, who got in touch with me recently, not the not my childhood friend, but my friend Nick G. Uh, if you hear this, uh, good. <laughs> but uh, I was talking to him about this, where it's like, it's very important for me not to to have my friendships be based on common beliefs or even common interests. And of course, that's great when it does happen. It's great when you have the total package where you're into the same things and you get along really well. But for me, there, there have been people, I've had coworkers who I get along extremely well with, and we have nothing in common. It's just purely rapport. And that's something, and that's big. That is something in common, of course. Which is, that shows you how silly it is the way that we prioritize things, where the most important thing to getting along with somebody is just the ability to get along. It's a certain rhythm. And the fact that we don't look for that, because you can't really, you only know it when you find it, but that we get so caught up in beliefs and all of these little details and nuances and interest and taste, we split so many hairs, the, the, but the reality is the most important of all of those is just that rapport. And of course, you know, politics have really split people apart. Beliefs have really split people apart, and it's always been true. Beliefs have always done that. Opinions have always done that, especially when they concern what we believe are the most important events. But those events are happening outside of our one-on-one relationships. You know, those events are usually something larger. I mean, it's one thing if you're friends with a gay person and you hate gay people on principle. I can see where that would cause some trouble, where it's like, oh, uh, what do you mean you, you hate me for being gay? We get along really well. You know, it's that sort of thing where I can understand why that would cause a problem. I can understand why that would cause a divide. But there are people who have managed to get beyond that, which is interesting. There are people who have managed to get beyond even that. And I think those examples of friendships actually show how 
you know, how, how fleeting our beliefs are and how circumstantial they can be. And not that they don't matter, but it just, I think those examples are important. Um, but, uh, you know, that guy who tried to tear the flags off. That, in that guy's mind, this guy in the truck, who he likely had never met, I mean, I don't know, you know, like I said earlier, maybe these guys had had an argument about Black Sabbath earlier in the day, or 10 years ago, and it just festered in the meantime, and this is the first time they've seen each other. Mortal enemies. Maybe when I see that kid that I met a few years ago, that friend of a friend who just immediately wanted to argue about Black Sabbath, maybe the next time I see him, we're just going to be at each other's throats. Maybe he's going to run up and just gouge my eyes. Or maybe it's going to be me. I shouldn't be too confident in my own, uh, you know, my own self-restraint. Maybe I'm going to see that guy walking and I'm just, I'm immediately going to just flash to him saying, oh, first four Sabbath albums, you know, and I'm just going to run at him and kick him right in the balls. Right in the balls, you know, maybe I'm going to do that. I don't know. Maybe that's how things, maybe everything kind of goes back to something like that. All conflicts. But chances are, no. Chances are, that's not how most things play out. But it is interesting, like, to see somebody expressing somebody and to think that I have to run at that person. I mean, because those two guys, they could have been the best of friends. Those two guys might have had great chemistry if they just sat down they just sat on the curb and talked about the flags and what those flags actually represent to the driver of the truck. Probably not. Probably wouldn't have played out that way. But you never know. Those guys might have gotten along really well. And their friendship might have... They might have found some sort of common ground that they could have magnified. But no, I mean, there's there's going to be dissonance to any interaction. Any, any person that you interact with on a regular basis especially in close proximity, there's going to be dissonance. And if you're a a self-aware and simply an aware person, you're going to notice it. And that's a mindfuck if you've ever been close to somebody who perceives things to the degree that you do. Because you'll both be aware of the dissonance. I mean, there's some people who just don't pick up on it, which is incredible. There's some people where there's dissonance in the room and they're not aware of it, or they're really good at ignoring it. But when two people pick up on the dissonance, and neither one of them wants to make the move to do something about it, we're back to that sort of situation where two people might actually want to be friends, but one person isn't willing to make the move. And sometimes it does take some sort of mutual friend to come forward and be like, hey, uh, what, what, do you think of, what do you think of Bill? Hate him. Hate him. I hate, I hate him. Oh, well, he likes you. Oh, what? You know, actually, yeah, yeah. Oh, that Bill. I, I like Bill. You know, it, sometimes it takes a, a neutral party to bridge that gap. That's the beauty of mediation. Good old-fashioned organic mediation. But people reject that, you know. People reject that where it's like, oh, well, uh, so you're a fence sitter, huh? I mean, people could say that. If, if there's somebody that you don't like, even if it's because they don't like you or you think they don't like you, if you've just developed this negative association with the person 
and you have a mutual friend. Imagine sitting there with that mutual friend and being like, hey, fence sitter. Oh, you, oh, so you think, oh, you think you can maintain peace with both of us? Did you know that he prefers Brazilian proto-black metal and I like Swiss? You know, it's like, choose a side. Choose a, choose a freaking side. You know, it's, are you going to do that to that person? Probably not. But there are some people I've known where you, you have a mutual friend in common and you talk shit about that other person who this person is mutual friends with. And that's a shitty thing to do to that person who's friends with both of you to try to get them to, to come over to your side or do something like that. But, you know, and the unfortunate thing is this just never ends. You know, this is the sort of stuff that people say incorrectly in my opinion is high school that's so high school and it's like oh that you mean oh it's so high school because it never ends right it's so high school but it never seems to end you'll see people in senior citizen homes you think about the sopranos they uh, did that extremely well where olivia soprano goes to the senior home and she's talking about how like or is it polly's i think i think it might be polly's mom is in a senior citizen home and he finds out that these other ladies don't let her sit at the table at lunch. She's an outcast in the senior home. And that's real. You know, that happens in senior citizen homes. There are social politics. People are cool. There is a cool table in your, even at the senior living facility. And so people say it's high school, but it's, it's kind of our natural tendency kind of our natural tendency to exclude and to have some sort of arbitrary standard for who can sit here and who can sit there. And it's silly, but it's also just how it is. But you can deviate from that. You know, you can not play into that or you can try to avoid it. And one way of doing that is not assuming, for one, that that dissonance you feel is dislike. When you feel dissonance with other people, it very well might be them being insecure about the fact that they don't know what you think of them. And so there's this sort of reverse magnetism where you you seem to be repellent, like you seem to repel each other. But the reality is, is that you're both too insecure to find common ground, or you're too insecure to recognize that the mystery you know it's almost like uh you're filling in the blank again it's you're filling in the blanks it's like there's this unanswered question there's this mystery and because it's a mystery your mind goes to the worst possible place and because your mind goes to the worst possible place you actually become worse off for it and you will start disliking somebody because you think they dislike you Meanwhile, they've only started disliking you because they think you dislike them. Who's to blame? Nobody. Human nature. Insecurity. Which is why you can get beyond that, you know? I mean, there is an answer to all this. There is a, a, a right answer to that blank. You might be filling in the blank with all kinds of, you know, imaginative bad things but the the real answer is to be like oh it doesn't matter i can like that person and if they dislike me even better even better 
If, if it turns out that person just fundamentally hates, hates me, and I continue to wish them well, if I continue to, you know, maintain goodwill toward that person, I don't lose anything. This isn't a resource that will run out. Yeah, it would get weird and probably actually antagonistic if you aggressively try to talk to that person and befriend them. You should probably just stay in your own lane. If it turns out somebody just hates you and there's nothing you can do about it, you probably shouldn't try to force them to feel otherwise. If some sort of effort, and it might not even be important to you, because that's the thing too, it might not even be important enough to you for you to make any kind of effort to convince somebody to see things your way or to think, to, to approve of you, to acknowledge you. And that's really what it comes back to, again, is this idea of acknowledgement, where it's not even that people are looking to become best friends with everybody. They just don't feel acknowledged. And if you haven't acknowledged people, they might assume that you are specifically avoiding acknowledging them because you have a low opinion of them. And it gets into honesty, too, because that's a part of it as well. I mean, there's people who I think... I've known who maybe I haven't acknowledged or encouraged because the reality is I'm not their biggest fan. I'm not necessarily a fan of what they offer. I don't hate them. I don't dislike them for that. But I, I there's not really some they're not doing something that I feel like encouraging because encouraging that would be dishonest on my part. And it's important for me not to be dishonest. And I've been dishonest in that way. And that's an interesting thing. The idea of being kind, saying something kind that is also dishonest. Is that the right thing to do? You see it a lot. It's what people say. Fake nice. Oh, they're fake nice. Oh, she's fake nice. So you'd rather have her be honest but mean? Or have her say nothing? Have him say nothing? But the idea of being fake nice, I mean, it's the the stereotypical example is a girl who meets another girl and says, oh, I love your shoes. I love your shoes. And behind her back is like, I, I hate her shoes. I hate her hair. You know, it's it, that's the stereotypical example of being fake nice to somebody when you meet them, but meanwhile saying otherwise behind their back. And that's just plain old dishonesty. And I think we understand why... I think we understand that situation where it's like, okay, like they're doing the opposite of what they said. But what about when you're completely indifferent? Because that's a whole other dimension. It's one thing to dislike somebody and lie to their face. But when you're just sort of, when you kind of even like somebody, when you're indifferent, ambivalent, or when you even like who somebody is, but you lie about something, you compliment them in a way that you don't truly mean. And I'm personally of the opinion that they know. I think that's one of the reasons why I try to avoid doing that, is that they often sense sincerity. Humans are very smart in ways that we don't even realize we are. And while there is that insecure voice in people's heads that says, he doesn't really mean that, You know, there are truly insecure people who can be complimented sincerely and they still don't believe it because they have such an ingrained inferiority complex. 
But there are people also, many people, who will be complimented, and it's a shallow compliment that the person doesn't truly mean, and the person receiving it knows. And it almost becomes insulting. It's patronizing. Because you think, huh, I wish they would have just said nothing, rather than lied to my face, telling me they liked something I did. But is it really wrong to compliment somebody when you don't truly mean it? It's not wrong. It's just it doesn't really, it's not as valuable, especially because it's often fairly obvious that you don't mean it. But if you do mean it, because I mean, that's another thing that people do as well, is somebody will have something nice to say to somebody, but they hold it back because they're afraid that it's going to be a one-way street. There are people who want to wave at somebody, but they don't because they're worried the person isn't going to wave back. Meanwhile, that other person doesn't want to wave because they're afraid you're not going to wave back. So what ends up happening is neither of you wave to each other. Neither of you acknowledge each other. And, you know, is waving and not getting a wave back or is waving and not really care? Like, if you wave at somebody that you don't actually care to talk to, Is it the biggest crime in the world? No. It's just some of the sort of stuff we deal with. It's just some of the stuff we deal with. But if you just think about it in terms of acknowledgement, don't attach any other word to it. Don't make it fit any particular shape. Just think, you know, acknowledgement goes a long way. And I think one of the best examples of that is at a party where there are people who go to a party and they don't know many people. Maybe they only know the host, but the host is busy. You can't just follow the host around all night hoping they'll talk to you because they're talking to everybody and they're doing stuff. And so you're just kind of a wallflower. You're hanging out in the corner. You know, maybe the reason nobody's talking to you is because your dickie's hanging out of your pants it's a little bit weird whether you know it or not. Maybe you're deliberately doing that. Uh, I don't know. But, uh, you know, people aren't really talking to you. And somebody does finally acknowledge you. Maybe they're just drunk. Who, Who knows? But somebody has decided to speak to you. You have been initiated into the environment. Whereas before you were just kind of hanging around the, the fringes, hanging around the periphery, feeling awkward, watching people socialize, watching what people do at a party, but you were initiated into the party by someone who finally acknowledged you. And that's why it's important for people to make introductions. I think one of the strangest things that I feel has become commonplace with my generation and maybe younger generations is not knowing how to make introductions. I'll be in so many situations where I'll be with somebody I know and somebody else they know comes in or, you know, you're with a group of people and maybe most of the people there are friends of friends and nobody makes that introduction. Oh, hey, this is Eric. This is Eric. He's the guy you see around town with flags on his truck. It's an invisible truck. It's like uh, Wonder Woman's uh, invisible aeroplane. You can't see it. You can just see him floating around. He's that guy. Oh, I thought you looked familiar. He's the guy who says Dio era Sabbath is just as good as Ozzy era. 
Oh, never mind. I don't want to be introduced to him. No, but really, that's something that seems to be lacking. In the same way that my generation has an extremely difficult time talking on the phone. And, and the phone is chemistry as well. I mean, I have friends who I'll talk to them on the phone on occasion, and God bless them. Uh, but it is like pulling teeth. Where it's going to be a fairly one-sided conversation because they're just not comfortable talking on the phone. And I'm glad they humor me. But I have other friends where it's going to be a long conversation if they pick up the phone or I pick up the phone. I talked to Miles for like eight hours the other night. You know, I have a friend in Florida and it's like that conversation is going to go on for two or three hours until one of us just shuts it down or gets tired. Uh, My friend Nick, my childhood friend Nick, we don't talk on the phone very often, but if we do, because I keep thinking to myself, oh, I'll give him a call and we'll talk for an hour. The reality is it'll be a four or five hour conversation. It'll be like hanging out, especially in this world where we can't really spend time with people. We can't go visit people as easily right now. So a phone conversation is very much what it is to hang out with somebody. And FaceTime is stupid. I've never used it. That's only because FaceTime doesn't like you. You're only saying FaceTime is stupid because FaceTime, you think FaceTime doesn't like you. But I do think it's kind of weird to just stare at someone's face. I guess that's closer to hanging out. I like the voice. I think there's something to be said for the phone. And I love talking on the phone. Give me a call, please. Please call me. Please call me. Um, I love talking on the phone. It's an art form, really. Not that it has to be, you know, a performance. It's not a fucking performance. You're just talking to somebody you like, getting along, talking, you know, talking shit even. And it, it's something that's lost on my generation. And I see the memes, you know, and it's, it's self-reinforcing like everything else is, where I started to feel that way. You know, I started to, around like in my 20s, I remember feeling weird about the phone. I had a job where I had to make cold calls, which always sucks. Cold calls are never a good deal. I was like 23... I had to make cold calls all day for a while. It wasn't it wasn't the entirety of my job, but we were working on a project where I had to ask places to volunteer meeting spaces that we could use for free. Which speaking of pulling teeth, that's what that was like. Hey, can we use your facility for free to hold meetings? And naturally, that's difficult. And I, I remember, I remember calling out sick to work for a couple of days, pretending to be sick because I just couldn't deal with the idea of sitting there calling places nonstop. And now I would be totally fine with it. Now I, I, I there was a period of time I remember where I started to feel anxious about calling and making an appointment, which should be the easiest phone call in the world. There's a goal that you're making. They want to give you an appointment. Your dentist wants you to come in and give them money. You want to go get your teeth cleaned, yet you're having this, you know, not a panic attack, but just some sort of spell of anxiety, a little bit of electricity. If I'm anxious and I pick up the phone, it'll electrocute me. That electricity that's shooting through my arms in the form of anxiety. If I pick up the phone, it's going to electrocute. It's going to electrocute me. It's going to Hannibal electrocute me. Hannibal electrocute. Um, you know, you get that feeling and, you know, I didn't, but I made sure to not let that feeling become normal. Because growing up, I used to talk on the phone like we all did. 
That's just what we did, of course. And I feel like an idiot saying that. Because you'll come across people who are like, when I was a kid, we had cassette tapes. Oh, you wouldn't know what a CD is. You kids in your MP3s, uh, we used to have a thing called CDs. Oh, I remember Netflix when you used to have to get DVDs mailed to you. I'm always really put off by people who try to pull the... I'm so old, I remember 15 years ago when Netflix had to ship your DVDs. You know, I, I get really annoyed with people who say shit like that. And I feel like I'm verging on that right now by being like, when I was a kid, we didn't have text messages. We had to call our friends. We had to we had to call our friends landline. You ever heard of a landline? And we used to have to talk to their parents. We used to have to talk to their mom and say, hey, is, uh, is Jimmy there? Is Jimmy there? You know, I feel really annoying, like I'm making that kind of point. But the reality is, is just that you just knew you had to make phone calls. Whether you loved it or not, it was what you had to do. But I remember like a few years after text messages, text messages became the norm. I remember starting to feel weird about phone calls, but I caught myself. I caught myself and I was like, oh, okay, I can't let that happen. I can't feel weird about making phone calls. I can't be anxious about phone calls. Phone calls rule. You're in the moment. You're saying whatever you want off the top of your head. And it is performative. It is performative for sure. But it's real. It's real performance. It's real time. Phone calls are real time performance. Uh, And... You know, girlfriends I've had in the last decade and stuff, like, they hated it when I called them. Even if we were totally, you know, committed to each other and comfortable with each other, they hated it when I called them. They would have an anxiety attack. And I'm not, you know, not talking shit about them for that, because it's just, it's become a symptom of my generation, because if you don't do something enough, it suffers. Like, my handwriting sucks, and it always did, but it sucks even more because I use it so little. You know, sometimes I find I've developed this sort of dyslexia, actually, when I handwrite things. You know, I'm not dyslexic, but I've developed this sort of uh, sudden dyslexia where I'm so used to being able to type words out at a certain speed that if I'm handwriting something, I'll almost jump to the next letter in that word before I'm ready because I'm so used to getting an idea down as quickly as I do on a computer in Winder's Notepad. Winder's Notepad. Uh, you know, I'm so used to being able to get an idea down very quickly that my handwriting can't keep up, and I've developed this sudden dyslexia because I'm already getting on to the next letter or sometimes even the next word. I'm just, my, my brain is working faster than my hand. But uh, so my handwriting has suffered, and honestly, I don't enjoy writing things down by hand enough to keep that fire alive. Whereas phone calls... Granted, I have only select people who actually answer the phone or who actually call me. But it's greatly preferable, especially when you're going back and forth with text messages where it's, it's just sometimes someone will be sending you a lot of text messages, long messages that require a discussion. And it really is one of those moments where it's like, this is a phone call. I don't want to I don't want to have a phone call play out through text. Let's either save it for email 
or have a phone call. But for text messages, you know, granted, I can write long text messages, but when it gets into this back and forth, it's like, this isn't, I can't multitask and have a long form text message conversation because I'm going to be completely focused on the text messages. And because I'm only focused on that, I might as well just call you. And actually, I can multitask much better while talking on the phone than I can staring at, a, at, a, at the screen and typing and waiting for you to respond. So that's one of those things where I just, if the second the text message becomes long form, I'm going to call you. I'm going to call you. Uh, but it is something that's been lost, and it's a, a skill that's worth having. I mean, there's some people who have customer service jobs, and God bless them because they keep that skill sharp. They keep the talking skill sharp. And I don't think I would mind having that kind of job. Beyond the fact that customer service can be hellish, just the act of talking on the phone, I enjoy it. Even when I have to make business calls or I have to like call Bank of America to close my mom's account, which is obviously a nightmare. Even that, though, I kind of enjoy the, the rhythm and the... I don't know. I just, again, it's almost performative. There's almost, it's almost like performing in a strange way. And you have a goal too. It's like you're trying to achieve a certain goal. You're trying to get this company to do what you want them to do with your account. And you, it's just like a role-playing game. It's just like a simulation. It's like a simulation. It's like a choose-your-own-adventure role-playing simulation, talking on the phone where you can... You're given a set of options. Do you say hello? Do you say hi? Do you say, may I speak to so-and-so? What are you going to say to get the result you want? What are you going to say to get the result you want on the phone? It is, though. You can see it that way. But it's a skill that's worth maintaining. And I see these people posting memes, people from my generation and younger generations, these memes about how scared they are of phone calls. They're like, that face you make when your friend starts calling you on the phone. That face when your friend calls you instead of texts you, and it's like somebody screaming. I saw one just the other day, and it was somebody being attacked by a bird, and the text was, you know, when your friend calls you instead of texts. And it's funny. I mean, that's funny. Uh, but at the same time, you don't want that to really be you. You don't want that to be you because a phone call is good practice for just talking to people in the flesh. It's like talking to cashiers. You know, I genuinely, genuinely, I genuinely, 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 I genuinely um, enjoy talking to cashiers. Even if it's hello, how are you? I'm good. Even if it's nothing beyond that, I think just using that part of your brain, that part of your brain that says, I'm going to communicate with this person in a friendly way with no greater expectation than making for a short and pleasant interaction. There's something useful to that. And I mean, I'm almost at the point where I, I could see myself just calling random people just to see how they're doing. But people aren't comfortable with that anymore. They feel that there's this pressure. They feel it's a ticking time bomb. They see that they see that uh, their phone's vibrating 
Oh, my phone's vibrating. Oh, it's not just a text message. It's, oh, my God, it's a call. Oh, my God. Somebody called me today. You know there's somebody, because everything's infinitely possible, because there's an infinite number of possibilities, you know there's somebody who has sat in therapy and told their therapist, somebody called me today. You know, you know there's somebody who's talked to their therapist about that, about how somebody called them, a friend of theirs called them, and how that caused them to have a panic attack. Turn that panic attack into a... Uh, a panic massage. I was trying to think of what the antithesis of an attack is. A handshake. A panic a panic handshake. A panic hug. Turn that panic attack into a panic shake. Stupid. We're getting real stupid here. Stupid jokes flying out. But um I don't know. I, you know, I'm I'm very interested in Resolving that dissonance, and you can't always do it, it's always going to be there, but it seems that we've allowed dissonance to just form in these pockets of our lives and in the space between us and other people, and while some of that will inevitably happen, I feel like we've lost some of the tools we have to resolve that dissonance, or to accept it, because it'd be one thing if there's this dissonance between us, and we just say, oh, it's there. There's nothing I can do about it, but hey, it's it's just it's like a, it, there there are swamplands in places. It's kind of what it's like. It's like being like, oh yeah, you know, some forests have a swamp in the middle. Some dirt roads have mud puddles. That's kind of what it's like. It's kind of like, oh yeah, you know, sometimes you're going to come across just this social dissonance. And it might be caused by something, it might be caused by nothing, it might be purely the result of some sort of blank space that nobody is willing to fill in with something good. And your ego, your insecurity makes you fill it in with something bad. But you don't have to fill it in at all. You don't have to do anything with it. You don't have to do anything with it. Sometimes just leaving it as is is all you need to do. And just to know that you're not doing anything to negatively contribute to it. You're not coming to any conclusions. You just have your phone ready to make a phone call. Because I do think that phone calls are a great dissonance eliminator. And I actually believe that our world would be better. I believe that many of the complaints people are making about the state of the world today, the way people communicate, the way people are projecting this anger towards social media and techno-communication, it might be resolved if more people just called each other. Without any expectations, without any goal. Just, hey, how you doing? And if you have good chemistry with somebody, that's all you need. You don't need a preloaded conversation. You don't need a plan. Because I think that's the beauty of chemistry. That's the beauty of just having chemistry with another human being is you can constantly improvise and it always comes out well. And even if it sort of, you know, pitters out, if that's a word, pitter, Pitter. It pitters out. 
you know, even if it sort of dies out, even if it dwindles, even if the energy dwindles, it's like there's always a possibility for something and you don't need a plan to do it. It's soul chemistry. And when you have that, differences don't get magnified into something larger than what they are. And you don't look for those differences. You look for commonality and you magnify that. And if there is dissonance, you know that it's just inevitable. It's just inevitable to have a certain amount of dissonance. And it's not a deal breaker. Dissonance is not a deal breaker. But, uh, you know, I do feel that a lot of this stuff that isn't resolved is the result of people not just figuring out a conversation as they go. Not relying on talking points. Because that seems to be one of the issues with online communication and text message is that there's a certain amount of rehearsal, mental rehearsal on your part, where you often plan to say something a certain way. Whereas when you're in the flesh, a lot of the funniest things, and that's what we're all looking for. We're all looking for humor. We're all looking to laugh. When we spend time with people, we probably would prefer to laugh about something over just about anything else we could possibly do. And laughter, I feel like most often comes from just figuring it out, just improvising. Somebody saying something off the top of their head, and that's what's funny, is it's not prepared, it's not rehearsed. And I have nothing wrong with things that are prepared or rehearsed, you know, because, I mean, that can be funny too. Things can be written out ahead of time. They can be scripted. But I think that is the issue with technological communication. As much as I'm a fan of it, as much as I'm a fan of communicating online for that matter, there's an element of, you know, it's, it's scripted. It feels scripted. You're planning on saying something to get a certain result, and the more public it is, the less tailored it is to an, a specific person or a specific relationship. And to me, those are where the most interesting and fun conversations happen, is when your audience is limited. Your audience is one person you know. It's a small group of people that you're hanging out with or talking to. That is when things are funniest because you're only concerned with what they think. And even then, it's just about, you know, hey, I can say whatever I want around these people. You know, we can improvise. And that's what's lacking with online communication is it's scripted. And it's intended for a much larger audience than you would otherwise be talking to if you were on the phone or even at a party. And that seems to be the biggest issue with it for me. It's not the medium. It's, it's certainly not the technology. Because all of this stuff comes back to our human nature anyway. The idea that new technology somehow changes who we are and how we communicate, you know, deep down. Just to me, that's nonsense. You know, it's still our nature that is communicating through these new mediums. But I believe what has changed is that we are talking more often to a much larger audience than we need to. And we are preparing and overthinking too much of what we say before we say it. And you can't do that on a phone call. You can't really do that. Otherwise, you sound like a robot. Otherwise, you sound like an automated call. 
So that's one of the benefits of just organic conversations, and it's something to keep in mind. You know, remembering that sometimes having a limited audience, sometimes having relatively few people who are hearing what you say and saying what you say just off the top of your head is really how we are meant to communicate. Sometimes that is far more meaningful than something that you have just sat around thinking about. Oh, what's the best way to say this? Blah, blah, blah. And I mean, it's one of the reasons I do this show. One of the reasons I do this show is because I can do that for better and certainly for worse and everything else in between, warts and all. One of the reasons why I like doing this show is it's the same thing, but it's obviously just me talking to myself. But I also do this show specifically because I know that there is a limited audience. This show would be probably completely different if it had a real following. And that's not something I want. It'd be cool if people were like, hey, yeah, why did you get a Patreon? Why did you get a Patreon? I'll pay you $5 a month to hear you talk. You know, while that would be nice on a practical level, the reality is there is a certain... You know, something. there's something organic about knowing that there aren't a ton of people who are going to hear this, and most of the people who are know me in some way, or they know somebody who knows me. It's pure word of mouth, both in terms of what I'm doing, as well as how somebody could possibly hear about this show. Because what I'm doing right now is obviously word of mouth. These are words coming out of my mouth. <laughs> And with that, you know, once things get self-referential, once once the show starts talking about the show, good time to wrap it up. Good time to wrap it up. Just some things to consider. Just some things to consider as you go about your day. I recommend sharpening your phone skills. I recommend, you know, embracing small talk and not worrying about that dissonance when you feel it and maybe you know, coming to the conclusion that, hey, that dissonance that I feel, it's not the result of somebody hating me. They're probably feeling the same way I do. And one of us just needs to acknowledge the other person. Because we don't actually need anybody to come up behind us and massage our our shoulders. I can't even say that. Massage our shoulders. Massage our shoulders. We don't need anybody to come up behind us and massage our soldiers. Um, we don't though. We don't need somebody to to be over the top. We don't need somebody to kiss our ass. Most of what we're looking for is acknowledgement and it's the fear of not being acknowledged or mutually acknowledged that creates so many problems, so many of our internal problems, so many of our problems with internal, uh, with other people. See, I'm losing, just losing all my words. The show is originally word of mouth, and now we don't even have word of mouth. It's just of mouth. But that's why I do this. I do this so that I just lose my words, because all this is at the end of the day is just a moving mouth. This land is mine, God gave this land 
happens to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free So take my